We're so glad uh, that you have chosen to be with us today as we are live here at Moncton Wesleyan in the Celebration Center. And whenever it is that maybe you happen to be watching us, uh, we're glad that you did. And so uh, I want to welcome you to week two of this series on the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at this for a total of about four different Sundays. And as we do, uh, as we do, uh, I want to remind you just really quickly of what we started with last Sunday, with four reminders, some guidance for how we miss much of Revelation, number one, if we don't know early church history. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that this Sunday. Very specifically, we're going to talk about early church history. Then number two, if we don't know the Old Testament. And so I really want to uh, remind you that today we're going to dig down into, uh, just to remind you that, that uh, last week we said that about 70%, almost 70% of the book of Revelation is uh, quoting or referencing in some way from the Old Testament. And that's one of the things that makes it really challenging for us to understand many times is that, uh, that the book of Revelation is not necessarily written in chronological order. In fact, if you want to learn a little bit more about that, you can go and watch the, uh, the message, the little mini message that Pastor Nathan did earlier this week that's on our Facebook page. There's a video there that talks about how Revelation is not necessarily written from beginning to end in chronological order. And part of that is remembering that it's not just talking about the past. I don't think it's just talking about the present or even just the future. That Revelation is in many ways talking about all three at the same time. You've missed much of Revelation number three if we walk away feeling frightened and number four if it doesn't make us more like Jesus. And so if you missed that teaching last Sunday, I want to encourage you to go back and watch that sometime. Not right now, wait until later, but uh, go back so that you can get some context to help you understand the rest of what's going on in Revelation. Well, today we're going to look into this first issue, church history. Because it surprises me sometimes how many times people will, will look at the book of Revelation and only pay attention to what it says as far as what they think it means for the future without acknowledging what it meant for people in the past. And so just in the very first chapter, we're reminded of who this book was originally written for. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 says to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And then in verse 10, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so I think it's a challenge for us to understand what this book means for us today if we don't have some appreciation for what it meant for those seven churches in the past. And so what we're going to do today 
is travel back in time. I'm really excited about this. To travel back in time to the year 95 AD and the very first city on that list of the churches that Revelation was written to. The city is Ephesus, and obviously it looks like this today. These are the archaeological ruins. But back in Roman times, back in the time of the Bible in the late first century, uh, the, the city of Ephesus was a magnificent city said to be only perhaps rivaled by one or two cities, maybe almost as nice in some ways as the city of Rome itself. It was maybe about the third most prominent city in the empire, some historians say. And the Roman Empire at this point covers so much of the developed world. You have on the, the west, the Roman Empire extending as far as Britain. In the east, it extends into the areas towards India. And Ephesus is here in the middle, a port town, so that if, if you had goods that were coming from the east to the west, things that you could only get in the east, things like silk and, and spices, many of those things would have to come through the city of Ephesus. And so it was a major center of buying and selling. And so at this point, in Roman history, they have begun to practice what we call emperor worship. And emperor worship to the Romans did not necessarily seem like that big of a deal because they worshiped many different gods. They were polytheists like most people in the ancient world. And so uh, they would control your allegiance to the empire by demanding that everyone join together in worshiping the emperor in Rome. And so, in many cities, you would have a temple, a temple with an altar that looks like this. We, we call it an incense altar. Many cities in the Roman Empire, especially in the east, that the Revelation churches, it says, are written in the province of of what we call Minor Asia. And this was really the hotbed of cult worship for the empire. And, and so what you would do is, and you'll remember this from the Old Testament, right? And even the times of Jesus, that there was an altar of incense in the temple in Jerusalem uh, for the worship of the one true God. But now emperors had, uh, had incense altars in many cities that looked like this. And what you were required to do is come and make an offering to the Caesar or to the emperor. And what you would do is you would, you would buy a little pinch of incense and you would throw it on the fire. And as you did, you were to declare this. You were to say, Caesar is Lord. And once you had declared Caesar as your Lord and your God, then you were free to go out in the marketplace and buy and sell freely because the priest would give you some kind of certificate or, or a stamp on the certificate, a mark. But this was a problem for a particular group of people in the Roman Empire that we call Christians today because they said, we will worship no one but our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, some years earlier, uh, one of the early church fathers was named Polycarp, and Polycarp was arrested for not worshiping the Caesar. Polycarp uh, lived in 
the very second city on that list, right after Ephesus, that the, the book of Revelation was written to, Polycarp lived in Smyrna, and he was arrested for not worshiping the Caesar, and the police captain did not want to have to kill him. And so he said, Polycarp, what harm is it to say Caesar is Lord and to offer sacrifice and be saved? It's not that big a deal. Polycarp, everybody does it. But Polycarp said, only Jesus is Lord. And he was killed for not making sacrifice and worshiping the emperor he would not bow down and take the mark. Now, in the first century, you also had, for example, a, a magistrate who lived in the city of Rome in the late first century. His name was Pliny. And he said that the current Roman emperor, the Caesar Domitian, was a beast from hell. Even before that, the emperor Nero had often been called a beast. And so when you put all of this together for Jews and Christians who lived in, in the cities of Revelation, Ephesus and Smyrna and, and, and Laodicea, the question is, will you burn incense and worship Caesar as your Lord? Will you deny your faith in Jesus? Will you take the, the certificate and receive the stamp in order to buy and sell. And so I want you to imagine for a minute. Imagine if you were, for example, Lydia, who we meet in the book of Acts. Lydia, who the Bible tells us in New Testament times, was a merchant of garments of purple. And Lydia, this, this godly Christian woman, imagine that she is trying to provide for her family and she is faced with this decision, what am I going to do? Do I, do I worship Caesar? Do I receive the certificate? Do I give an incense offering and declare that Caesar is one of my gods or not? And this is the question for the, the, the shoemaker or the farmer who is, who is trying to sell his vegetables in the market or the person who works as a tradesperson and and. and, and being part of the emperor cult is, is a requirement to work in that particular trade, let's say, as a mason. These are very real life and death questions for Christians in the first century in the book of Revelation. And so, how did things get to this point? Well, let's, let's start at the very beginning, the very first emperor. Now, Rome had existed long before the time of the New Testament. But in 44 or 49 BC, they had their very first Caesar or emperor. We're going to use those words interchangeably. Caesar and emperor in Rome mean the same thing at this point. And the very first is named Julius Caesar. He's famous for his haircut, you know, with all the hair pushed forward. Uh, really quite the bangs there too. That's a lot of forehead, wouldn't you agree? Uh, Caesar uh, Roman ruler and inventor of the forward-swept haircut. Also, Caesar is famous, famous, uh, famous for pizza pizza. That was when he was a little Caesar, I guess. And, uh, and also, I, I kind of like his salad dressing. Maybe you've had it. But when Julius Caesar was killed in 44 B.C., 
there was a division in the empire and fighting broke out. And, and some of the lead actors in this whole struggle included Mark Antony and Cleopatra and Caesar's, uh, uh, Julius's heir apparent, Octavian Augustus. But when it all sorted out, by 27 BC, Octavian Augustus, Augustus had brought the empire together and firmly established his reign. And as the emperor, as the Caesar, he had a really kind of what he thought to be smart idea about how to solidify his power. You see, when, when Julius Caesar had died in 44 BC, there had been a comet that year that had appeared in the sky, a shooting star. And so Augustus pointed back to that moment in history. People remembered this shooting star, this comet. And, and, and Augustus said, well, of course there was a comet that year. That was the year that my father, my adopted father, Julius Caesar, died and ascended into heaven as a god. And so follow this now. So he said his father Julius Caesar was a god, making Augustus the son of God. And so Augustus proudly wears that mantle as the son of God. In fact, here you see a picture of one of the coins that was widely circulated throughout the empire. Uh, here you see in Latin it says Caesar Augustus with his picture. And then on the back, you see in Latin, divine, which refers to God, divine, Julius, or Julius the God. And here you have, what do you suppose this is? A comet. It's that, that star in the sky. And, and Julius Caesar, catch this, See if this sounds familiar. Augustus inaugurated the celebration of his divinity because a star appeared in the sky proving that he was the Son of God. You remember last week we said that, that Satan is an imposter, that he does counterfeit miracles, that, that he likes to take prophecy and things that God has put it in place and, and twist it. And so after Augustus dies in 14 AD, then comes Tiberius. And if you, if you pay attention to the dates here, you see that Tiberius was the Caesar, the emperor, when Jesus was doing his ministry for those three years in Judea and Galilee. Then came Caligula after Tiberius died in 37, and then he died in 41, and you had Claudius who died in 54 AD, and Nero who died in 68. But meanwhile, in the empire, this, there is this, this passionate group of people who start coming out of Jerusalem declaring that they are worshipers of the one true God and his son, the Messiah, Jesus. And so they start going around the empire saying, well, your guys who claim to be God, Augustus died, Tiberius died, Claudius died, Nero died, but they said, our guy, Jesus lives. <laughs> he died 
yes, but he rose again. And so these Christians will not worship Caesar. They will not burn incense at his altar. They will not take his mark because they say there is only one son of God who has come down from heaven and his name is Jesus and we will worship him and him alone. And so if you look back at this list again, the truth is different emperors kind of treated this whole divine Caesar, Caesar is God thing differently. You had people like Nero who really liked being called God. Then you had emperors like Vespasian who really kind of played down the whole Caesar is God thing. But if you fast forward to the very bottom of the list, you see the name Domitian. Domitian ruled from 81 to 96 AD, the time that it's believed the book of Revelation was written. And Domitian was a bad dude. Now, Nero, Nero is the first Roman emperor who brought about widespread Christian persecution. Do you remember in history class? Do you remember in history, or did you fall asleep, when uh, when we learned that Nero fiddled while Rome burned, that what he did was he tried to burn down part of the city so that he could rebuild it in his own image and and expand his glory in the empire. And so when people got upset, he blamed it on the Christians, and history tells us that that began the mass persecution of Christians, not just in Rome, but around the empire. And so with Nero, things were bad for Christians, but with Domitian, things went from bad to worse. Uh, Here's a statue of Domitian. Uh, This is what he looked like. And, and, And just to give you an idea of how messed up he was, one of the things that gives you insight into his character and the way that he operated was that he required that even his wife call him my Lord and my God. Imagine guys trying that. See how that works in your house. Probably not too good. And so when Domitian would give a command, he would say, your Lord and your God requires this of you. When Domitian would order that someone be killed, he would say, it has pleased the Lord your God that you be tortured and put to death. Here's another statue of Domitian. And I want you to notice what's in his right hand. It's a scroll. And a scroll was significant for a a Caesar symbolizing his power and authority. It, it, It would contain his names and titles and rights as the emperor all written on that scroll. And and I wonder if the symbolism reminds us that, that the Caesar was the only one who was considered worthy to open the scroll. Keep in mind some of these things we're talking about. It's gonna be important later. Now, Domitian loved entertainment. And he renewed something that you remember from Greek times hundreds of years before the Olympics. They were called by historians the Domitian Games. And so in amphitheaters and, and, and stadiums and hippodromes, the various venues in the empire, he would throw these Domitian 
games, but they also had very religious connotations. And so I want you to imagine a stadium with 20 or 30,000 people gathered to celebrate the games. And so the priests and the spectators, historians tell us, would come robed in white. Robed in what? In white. And the priests who, who guided the celebrations wore golden crowns with Domitian's name or image upon them. And so they wore what? The priests wore golden crowns. One of the guys from back in the first century, his name was Suetonius, said that Domitian loved to hear people call him their Lord. Hail to the Lord. A song they would sing, written by Domitian's poets, went like this. Lord of lords, highest of the high, Lord of the earth, God of all things. This is not a guy with low self-esteem. Or actually, maybe this is a guy with low self-esteem. Maybe that's why he did many of these things. And then at the appointed time, four horses would be driven into the stadium. You've seen the movies in Roman times, how they loved chariot races. Well, did you know that chariot races were designed in Roman uh, uh, competition to race four teams, each against the other, and that each team was represented by a different color. Four horses of different colors. Now, if you've never read Revelation, this stuff is maybe just kind of flying right over your head. But if you have spent time in Revelation, then, then bells should be just going off all the time and all these pictures and all these things that we're talking about. Now, as everybody knows, if you want for people to worship you, you need a place for them to do it, a temple. And so Domitian became the very first emperor to have a temple built for himself while he was still alive. Now, it was common to have temples for emperor worship, like there were temples for Augustus and for previous emperors, but for a, a, a Caesar to have a temple built for himself while he was still alive, this was a first. And guess where Domitian allowed this temple for the beginning of his worship cult to be built. He chose a particular city. It was a city in Asia. It was one of the seven cities of the book of Revelation. It was the first city on the list, Ephesus, the one we're talking about today. And so do you see it has this large platform on top? And then, I don't know if you can see it, but down here you have statues on each of these posts, and it continues on down. You obviously only see a bit of it in this artist's drawing. And so what I want to do now is zoom in so that you can see this in more detail. This is what those columns looked like. This is uh, the remnants of that temple. You can see it was built into the side hill and the high place of the city of Ephesus. And what you have, those statues on each of the columns was actually a collection of the statues that represented the gods of Rome and Greece. Now, how many Roman gods were in the Pantheon? Twelve. Do you remember how many Greek gods were in their mythology pantheon? Twelve. What is twelve and twelve among the gods? The number 24 
Uh, keep that number 24 in mind. These are statues of the gods. So let's zoom back out to see. And so that's what we were looking at before. Here is the whole temple in its glory. Now they don't know exactly where this massive statue stood, but, but among the rubble, they found that on top of it all was this humongous statue of Domitian himself. And notice his position. Where is he? Up and above all the other gods. What's he saying? I kind of think of Muhammad Ali saying, I'm the greatest of all time. Nobody's like me. God of all to be worshiped over all the rest. In fact, here's a picture of what that looks like today. This is what's left of that statue that stood on top of the temple. You want to see how big it is. You can see a woman here on the left that gives you uh, a, a feel for it. His head is almost as large as her whole body, that the forearm is at least the size of, of a small person. And so whenever you came on a ship from the west, if you came in from Rome to the city of Ephesus, as your boat entered the harbor, high and above it all, you would see this statue of Domitian over all the other gods, Lord of heaven and earth. If you came from the east, as you approached from land to the city of Ephesus, you would look and see high and above it all the statue of Domitian over all the other gods declaring himself Lord of heaven and earth. But as you study history, you begin to see this problem that we referenced before, that there was this small but growing group of people, radical people, especially in the city of Ephesus, who rose up and said, we will not bow down. Amen? And so what did they do? Here's what happened. In Ephesus, they took the pastor from this church and they sent him off to exile in an island. Uh, by the way, if you ever want to send this pastor to exile on an island, it, I'd rather pick instead of Patmos, Hawaii. Just make sure you take note of that. And so John, this pastor, sits on the island of Patmos and he receives a word from the Lord. And he wanted to encourage his churches in Ephesus and, and the cities of Smyrna and Sardis and, and Laodicea. And so John receives this vision from the Lord in order to encourage the people. And he writes it in this letter that we call the book of Revelation. And in the first chapter in Revelation, chapter 1, verse 16, John paints a picture of Jesus, the glorified Christ. And he says of Jesus, in his right hand, he held seven stars in this vision that he says to the seven churches. Now, here you have a picture of a coin that Domitian circulated around the empire at the time of the writing of this letter. In the picture, you have a child sitting on top of the world. The child is Domitian's son, the son of God sitting on the world with dominion and authority surrounded by stars. How many stars? Do you want to count them? One, two, three, four, five, 
six, seven, seven stars. Now, now go to chapter four. This is where it gets really good. This is so exciting. Let's begin reading in chapter four, verse one. And so it says, after this in the vision, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And imagine the people in these seven cities who could picture this. They knew what it was like in the, in the massive stadiums with Domitian sitting on his throne. They can see this in their minds. But this is the true God. Verse three, and, and the one who sat there had an appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. In other words, this is more than just a man. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Is this sounding familiar from the song that we just sang a few minutes ago? Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. Uh, remember Domitian's temple in Ephesus and all the gods that were under Domitian? They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Is, is this sounding familiar with people in the Domitian games dressed in white and, and priests wearing gold crowns? Verse five, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And we talked about the symbolism of the seven lamps last week. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion and the second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and praise to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Chapter five, and then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a what? A, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. By the way, whenever in the Roman Empire, whenever you would have a, a will that was written for after someone dies, a, a, an inheritance that's to be, to be given, to be poured out, that, that it was always in the Roman Empire sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy? Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? 
But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, not even that doofus Domitian, could open this scroll or even look inside it. And so I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, oh, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb, not a false vindictive, false Christ like Domitian, but rather a lamb. The imagery of Jesus being the Lamb of God. It says, looking as if it had been slain. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was slain on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It's looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. Full of what? Full of incense. You remember how the emperors would have people give incense offerings to declare them as their, their Lord and God. But now in the scene of heaven, we have bowls full of incense, which are what? Which are the prayers of the saints for the one true God. And they sang a new song. You, you are worthy, not Domitian, not any leader in the world. Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a, a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and, and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And it says, and then I heard every creature. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger with more joining the chorus. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped him. What is John saying here? 
He's saying, guys, I've had a picture of heaven. I've seen the throne room. I've seen the God of the universe who is sitting on the throne. And I'm here to tell you, Domitian ain't it. <laughs> he says, listen, we serve a savior who was crucified and buried. And the Roman government thought that they could keep in the, in the ground. The religious leaders thought that they could silence him. The people of this world demand that you worship their gods and be just like them. But John says, whatever you do, don't do it because you need to know that Jesus is alive and he is the savior who will reign forever and ever. And he alone in the end times is the one who holds the keys to heaven and hell, death and life. He alone is the one worthy to be worshiped. And I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine that you are one of those Christians in the first century. You've been to the Domitian Games. You've seen this imagery. You, you've passed these coins around in your, in your daily interactions in the market. You've had friends and family who were killed because of their faith in Jesus, because they would not bow down. Even some of Domitian's own relatives, historians tell us, were killed, suspected of being Christians. And John says, I want you to know something. John says, I want you to know it is better to die for the risen Christ than to bow down to some antichrist. It is better to die for the risen Christ than to bow down to some antichrist. And, and I wonder if these Christians in the first century would look at us today and have some questions. I wonder if they would look at us and say, you're all worked up and bothered about what exactly again? That you've kind of had to stay in your house for a few months? Let me get this straight. You're complaining because you don't like the song that the band sang this morning? <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> you're... you're, you're you're complaining because your, your small group is still meeting on Zoom instead of in your house? Let me, let me get this straight. I think they would say, you actually get to like put your services out with Bible teaching and worship on the internet for anybody to see and you don't get in trouble for it? And you actually have the opportunity to invite people to join you in worship. You have the opportunity to invite people to church or, or share it and invite them to watch it online. And you don't do that because you're afraid what they might think of you. You live in a country where, where you don't have to make an incense offering of worship to the Caesar and declare him as your God. You get to own a business as a Christian. I mean, listen, it's no wonder that we have trouble understanding the book of Revelation because it was written for people who were living under real and serious persecution. It's a reminder that all the kingdoms of this world are going to pass away and that it does not matter what the people of this world do to you. In the end times, with earthquakes and floods and war and pestilence and persecution, this book gives us hope and confidence that God is going to win in the end. Amen? Can you put amen 
in the notes, in the comments, whether you're on Facebook or on YouTube, will you declare some praise today? And so we're gonna do something really crazy, okay? It's out of your comfort zone. We're gonna do something really crazy. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come and, and wherever you are, I want you to get up on your feet right now and we are going to enter into this worship scene from Revelation chapter four and chapter five. And I want you to picture this scene in the throne room of heaven. And we're joining today with the 24 elders. We're joining with the four living creatures. We're joining with the prayers of the saints. We're joining with the angels of all eternity. And let's shout it out together. If you're at home and you're with your family right now, can you as a family get up on your feet so you can say this together, shout it out. Maybe you're in an apartment right now. Maybe you could say this in your apartment, in your apartment, so you wake up the neighbors. Are you ready? We're gonna join in this worship service that has been going on in heaven for thousands of years as we say together. Here we go, let's join them now. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever amen